Hello, my name is Reverend Jodie Stoll. Over the lockdown period, I was in one of the few million households who were required to shield because I live with someone who is clinically extremely vulnerable. On the 1st of August, the shielding programme ended or paused, but we were no less vulnerable. So we, along with those other millions of people, had to begin to figure out what it meant to live as a CEV household in a world where COVID-19 is here to stay. The way that I see the world and make sense of my faith in it is now fundamentally impacted by this experience. And so this is my podcast, Shielded. You're very welcome here. There we go, we're recording. Hello, hello. (laughs) So this week's podcast is a little different as my guest for this week is the Reverend Kate Botley. She's a priest in Sutherland, Nottinghamshire and who you'll know from BBC Radio 2 as she delights us on a Sunday morning and also as a presenter on Songs of Praise. So we decided to simply have a conversation about the subject this week, which is weakness. I wanted to do something around, you know, all those words that we hate, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and in, in the sort of Christian faith, we don't really pay much attention to. Um, and so vulnerability, weakness, resilience, I've popped well-being in there because I think that that comes out of these things and it's part of the conversation. You'll find that we meander around this subject and think about such things as whether Jesus was weak, how we respond to being thought of as weak, and whether we can redeem our weaknesses rather than seek to eradicate them. In fact, whether that might be exactly how God responds to weakness. This week's podcast is a little bit longer than usual, so you might need two cups of tea, maybe even three. Go on, treat yourself. So vulnerability, weakness, resilience, I've popped well-being in there because I think that that comes out of these things and it's part of the conversation. Um, but that's why I've, I've focused on that. And obviously the, the you know, the um, experience that we've had as a household with shielding and everything, that's really impacted me. And the whole kind of stuff around the language of being clinically extremely vulnerable or in a household that is, has a clinically extremely vulnerable person, it's really made me think about that, that world and those words and how we make sense of that in a, a Christianity that can often be a little bit muscular and, you know, alpha male and all those kind of things. So I wanted to kind of bring something different into, into the conversation. And I think so, as clergy, there's that whole thing of, um, we're quite often painted as superhuman as well. And as Christians, yeah. generally, you know, there's that whole sort of thing of, well, you're not supposed to feel like that because you're a Christian. You've got it. So there's this kind of idea that we're somehow sorted. And mm-hmm. It's somehow all kind of neat and tidy. So you're not supposed to be frightened of dying because you're a Christian and you're not supposed to make any moral mistakes because you're a vicar. And, you know, we frame perfection around our faith, don't we? Because the narrative we're sold is that we're supposed to become more Christ-like. Yeah. Well, that's an impossible task 
to become absolutely like Jesus is an impossible task. And it reminds me of one of the things my dad says fairly frequently, um, despite not necessarily professing to be a man of faith. My dad always says, when anybody says, nobody's perfect, my dad always says, yeah, because the last perfect person there was, they nailed him to a cross, so who wants to be perfect? You yeah. know, and it's this idea that we are trying to emulate Jesus, we're trying to be more Christ-like in our lives, but we're actually holding ourselves up against a, a completely unobtainable target, you know? I guess I'm not sure that, um, I mean, it is unobtainable, and obviously Jesus was sinless, um, but actually there, there's some unhelpful um symbolisms around who we imagine jesus to be as well absolutely you know so when people when people talk about you know jesus oh being what would jesus do well always remind yourself when anybody asks that question that turning over the tables and beating people with whips is always an option because he went for that one as well and falling asleep in a boat and you know getting completely exasperated so what that tells me is, is that if Jesus was sinless, if Jesus was this image of perfection that we aspire to, then part of what we aspire to is also to have righteous anger, is also mm. to sometimes be completely human. And yeah. that perhaps that's not failure. Perhaps that's just authenticity. Yeah. And that's a different thing. Yeah. And the frailty and fragility of being human is present in Jesus as well. And I think we often, you know, we want, we want this kind of superman sort of um idea around jesus rather than recognizing that that he was frail and fragile in his humanity and when we do that we discover a greater empathy for those characters in the story that do have those failings you know and of course there's there's the wonderful stories um of imperfection all the way through scripture of those big leaders of faith that completely messed it up and were utter failures you know you've got people that just did not measure up but yet god used them time and time and time again Mm -hmm. um and you know it gives me real sympathy for people like judas you know it's like well yeah actually we'd all like to be mary at the foot of the cross but actually we're all a bit more (laughs) judas aren't we really let's face it we're even we're even you know we sometimes I know that I do you know quite like to imagine myself that I'm a bit of a Peter because I think you know Peter at least comes across as kind of passionate and you know really he's strong in that way isn't he but it's actually quite difficult to think of ourselves as being weak in any way and so I kind of think just what you were saying that it gives us sympathy for those other those other characters in the Bible where which we find difficult to identify with but actually what we're trying to find is empathy for ourselves in those places yeah and i guess and weak and all those things i guess the takeaway from that is what underpins all scripture which is that we're loved you know that we're loved in all of it and that actually it's not just the good bits inverted commas that god's really interested in it's actually the whole package of us yeah. Um, and the, you know, that I often think about this because when I was a little girl, I was always told I was, sh- I was, a sh- oh, she's a dreadful show off, our Katie. Oh, Katie, you are a show off. Stop <laughs> showing off. And, it, and I was told when I was going forward for ordination training that there were certain things I wouldn't be able to do once I was ordained. Oh, you won't be able to do that once you're ordained. Oh, you're going to have to pull that back. Oh, you're going to have to turn that down. And this idea that all those things in me that, other people thought were weaknesses were failings 
Mm. I was going to have to somehow polish and perfect and play down. Yeah. And actually what happened was the minute I stepped into my vocation, which happened to be ordination for me, um, all those things became the very things that it appeared I was ordained for. Yeah. So all the showing off, all the attention seeking, all that sort of stuff. It was something like, oh, no, no, no. God suddenly went, oh, no, no, no. That's what I want. You know, and I was like, my mind was completely blown because yeah. it was like, I thought I was going to have to be less of myself once I stepped into my vocation. And actually, all those things that I was told were the bad things about me and all those things that I was almost um, shameful of, thought, oh, no, I'm not going to be a very good priest because I'm such a show-off. <laughs> actually, God's got, mm -mm, that's what I want. And yeah. for me, that was such a liberation. It was such a joy to see that I didn't need to be this perfect. In fact, the last thing God wants of me is to be a clone of anybody else. Yeah. The last thing God wants of me is to iron out all those creases. Mm. You know, it, it's the creases that make us more Christ-like almost. It's the creases that make us able to empathize. It's the creases that make us better people and better priests. And, and for those of us that have stepped into that vocation and whatever your vocation happens to be, whatever it is, you know, it's that line about, you know, we're made perfect in our weakness, aren't we? You know, that, that's the, that's the wonderful topsy-turviness of the kingdom. You know, Jesus does this all the time. You know, it always reminds me of, um, it always reminds me of, you know, when you learn to drive and you're driving in ice and they say, you need to steer into the skid. Steer yeah. into, and you think that doesn't sound right. Well, Jesus is a steering into the skid kind of savior because you're going, you think you're going right. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you know, he, he heals the people that shouldn't be healed. He does the things that shouldn't be done. Mm. And it's the weakness and the failings that are actually the really interesting stuff and are the stuff yeah. that God gets hold of and really uses that's been my experience anyway so you know it's this whole flipping it around i mean we shouldn't be surprised should we because god god's kingdom's always been flipped around on its head so this shouldn't come as any shock or surprise to any of us yeah no absolutely so i guess um that leads me into thinking just making it that bit more personal if how do you feel about being weak are you weak and how do you sort of instinctively respond to that question how does it make you feel if someone says oh you know you're weak um well I, if someone actually said to me you're weak I'd have to resist the temptation to show them in a physical manifestation <laughs> that I indeed am not weak <laughs> let the reader understand in that moment mm -hmm. um yeah we don't like to be no I, I don't I think so. to be called weak <laughs> by somebody else and I think as well you know framing that as a kind of five foot ginger round woman I'm, I'm like I'm not weak I'm not having that you know so I would probably if someone called me weak I'd probably go and get a sledgehammer and smash a building down just to prove that I wasn't because we talk about physical weakness um, yeah that's the first thought that comes into our heads or character weakness you know yeah, all that or kind of mental weakness. weakness and and it would be unlikely I would think if someone said to you oh you're quite weak that they would be saying that in a complimentary fashion well, so it would we, be it would be unlikely that would they would keep their teeth Jodie let's say that <laughs> <laughs> um it's not nice it's not nice to be told you eat but of course what what's difficult about anything like that is the grain of truth that is contained within those comments because mm -hmm. of course we're all weak yeah and we're all vulnerable um and that's what's difficult to accept is that when if people do if someone did say something like that 
if this, someone did, did say that I had a weak character, I would have to take it with the grain of truth that's in there because of course I have a weak character because we all do. Because mm. one of the things that's universal about the human condition is our shortcomings and our weaknesses, you know, that we've, we've all fallen short, that we're all not quite measuring up to the standard. You know, that, that's sort of the point, I think. Um, yeah. The, the difficulty comes when you're not prepared to discuss your weaknesses, when you, um, you know, so when, you know, when if I wasn't appropriately self-aware enough to know what my own shortcomings are, and my own shortcomings are, are, are a myriad, you know, there's a whole plethora, there's a library full of them, um, but it's being aware of those, and it's actually not just about painting over them it's not like I said earlier it's not about ironing them out necessarily but it's about seeing where God is in the weakness um you know seeing where through the vulnerability of myself I can see where God's um where where God's hand is where God's ability to sustain me is mm. you know that there is a perfection made in weakness that when I embrace what is my shortcoming that actually that ends up being can end up being for the glory of God rather than for the glory of Kate, which is the really interesting stuff, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would hope that if someone told me I was weak, that they were doing it from a place of love, that they wanted me to, you know, improve, I guess would be the word. Yeah. Although without our weaknesses, where is the place for God to do that work? So like you say, we wouldn't want to be without those, although that feels very counterintuitive. And when we talk about weakness, I, I kind of think we, we often talk about weaknesses, the other side of them. So, for example, you know, it's, it's um, you know, the idea that they're only really valuable once we have triumphed over them. Yeah, and the, and that's a very uh, that's um, it, like you like we named it that very muscular. It feels like um, it feels like one of those motivational posters that they have in gyms. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? It's a bit like feel the burn. You know, it's like I don't really want to. I don't really want to feel the burn. I no. kind of just want to sit with this for a bit. You know, and I, I I I suspect that what happens is that we we work on the crease, but then another crease emerges, and that that's okay, and that it's it's a continual process where you will never you we will never finish on this recognizing our shortcomings and um, and working within them. It's not necessarily about perfecting them. It's not necessarily about eradicating them. It's actually about sitting with them. Yeah. And then seeing them, seeing them transformed into yeah. a different thing. Um, and that might be that you overcome the weakness or it might be that another weakness pops up somewhere else or it might be a, a, a sort of beatification of the weakness, the saintliness yeah. of the weakness, that yeah. we turn it into something that's glittery and gorgeous but it's still deeply far. I mean, it's that, you know, that Japanese bowl fixing thing. I can't yeah. remember Sagi or something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that Japanese bowl thing that they do, we've all seen it, you know, with the crack where they don't throw the bowl away but they repair it with gold and it becomes yeah. even more beautiful. It really, I mean, it's cheesy, but that that's better than the motivational gym poster for me that says, you know, 
feel the burn and be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you are today <laughs> and all that sort yeah. of stuff which just feels a bit exhausted I just feel a bit tired by the thought of that don't absolutely. you absolutely absolutely uh, I also saw, um heard that um you know in mother of pearl so this is another cheesy symbol <laughs> I love it <laughs> the cliches um, for a reason it's because they work <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in mother of pearl or in like snail shells <clears throat> that um that the crack functions in such a way through the particular material of that shell that the the crack actually begins to make the hole stronger that's cool isn't it i mean and the other one is you know the grit of sand is the pearl in it you know it's all yeah. it's all that sort of stuff but i think there's also something about um not not by our own strength kind of thing you know so we've got this thing that we're weak in so somehow we will you know force ourselves out of being weak in that way um i think you've hit the nail on the head there because i think what the problem is with trying to overcome weakness is when the overcoming of the weakness becomes about our own ego and that becomes our self-identity it's not the weakness itself but the way that we've battled it or the way that yeah. we've played it or we and that becomes the defining thing about the weakness it's yeah. not the actual weakness but the way that we've overcome it and aren't Absolutely. we great? <laughs> no, actually that's the that's when this becomes a problem that's when the weakness becomes a problem is when the ego to overcome it becomes the all becomes the defining narrative of the experience i think yeah so i think you've hit the nail on the head there is it's when the ego starts getting involved no gee i don't, genuinely don't think god minds has been a mess up sometimes no. I, don't, I don't think it really matters no. um and i think that it's not something to be feared and if there is a weakness to be worked on, then go for it. But you're still loved anyway, even if it even if it don't work out. Yeah. But there's also maybe something in that, you know, whatever our weakness is. Um, I guess I love I'm, I'm smiling as you're working out. As you're working out, I can see I'm, you thinking. Because we've not got pictures on this, so I can see you though while you're thinking. And I love yeah. how we're, we're both doing this kind of like. I'm really trying oh, to let me think this through. Oh, well, I guess I was thinking about my experience with um, having kind of generalized anxiety. So I've had that, you know, for probably all my life. But you know, in my twenties, it became um, a significant thing that I was engaging with, and you know, and I still have that, and. Um, it's very tempting to talk about it in a way where it's kind of like I'm really strong because I overcome this thing that you know could potentially prevent me from doing different things in my life you know going out and you know heading into an uncertain situation or something unknown I could be stopped because of um, this kind of anxiety um, but I really I want to kind of hold back from doing that and intentionally kind of sit with the fact that actually this is something about the way that that I'm made um, and I think that's quite difficult for us to see um, kind of a, a givenness you know a God givenness in some of these things which people might interpret as weaknesses or, or weak in some way but actually the the way that i view the world the way that my body and my mind responds to the world and to other people um which often has an anxious response i i think allows me to see something of god which i couldn't see if i was a different way if i was a different person if i didn't have those kind of 
um, little spikes of anxiety that come in um, to shape a situation or shape how I'm responding to it. Because you can't live a life without anxiety. We have this idea that we categorise things as good and bad. And actually, mm. they're not good and bad. They're just things. And the other stuff around them might be defining as good or bad. But the thing itself is just, so you cannot live a life without anxiety. Anxiety no. is, a, is a thing that we all need. We need to be worried about some stuff because there's some stuff worth being worried about. Just like, um, you know, being frightened. It, it's a healthy response to some things. You should, we should be frightened. You know, <laughs> yeah. if we didn't have fear, when that great big bear with big shiny teeth comes to bite us, we won't be scared of it. And we need to be scared of big scary bears, don't we? You yeah. know, this, this, this has been a thing that's happened to me and I'm going to bring in cold water swimming because, you know, defining moment. Of my life. <laughs> One of the things I've learned in my cold water swimming journey. So I, I swim outside um, most days all the way through the year. Um, coldest swims are in the minuses, minus twos, minus threes, um, just in the swimming costume. And the change in thinking with me has been that the, we're taught that cold is bad. Mm. We're taught that whatever you do, avoid getting cold. So keep your house warm, keep your body warm, because if you get cold, that is a bad thing. Um, it's no worse than being hot, actually, for your body. If you get too hot, that's a really bad thing. But somehow we haven't framed heat in that quite same way because Western, you know, yeah. Northern Hemisphere, we're like cold is bad, cold is bad, cold is bad. Actually, cold's just cold. It's neither bad nor good. And some people go, isn't it when you get into cold water and they see all these pictures of you getting in ice and all sorts of things, go, isn't it cold? And you go, yeah. <laughs> Don't you feel the cold? Well, yeah, of course I do. But it, it's supposed to be cold. It's This is how it's supposed to feel. You know, it's not the cold that's wrong. It's my perception of it that's not yeah. quite framed right. And of course, you need to be careful. And of course, it can go too far. But actually... You just get in and it was my swim teacher that changed my mind. They just went, I went, oh, it's cold. It's cold. And he went, yep, just feel it. <laughs> just sit with it. And I got in and just stood there and went, this is really cold. <laughs> it's neither good nor bad. It just is what it is. And it strikes me that when we're talking about anxiety, when we're talking about stress, when we're talking about worry, when we're talking about all those sorts of things that actually, of course, this is a sweeping generalization and there are times when those things are overwhelming and do need to be dealt with but actually sometimes just sitting with it and going yes i am anxious mm. rather than going i'm anxious i need to not be anxious i can't be anxious anymore i must stop being anxious stop and just stop fighting that and just allow it to just be what it yeah. is then actually that's where the kingdom of god breaks in that's where the chink of holiness is yeah and going this is actually a thing it's just a thing yeah but also that you know I, I'm assuming that when you're in that kind of cold water and when you're experiencing what it is you're experiencing because it's cold because it's the way it is that you wouldn't be able to to experience that unless you were in the cold water yeah. so that is a new experience that you would never have had had you not sat with it if yeah. you've not gotten and, and the fighting it, it, it doesn't become any less cold because I fight it. It no. doesn't become any less of what it is. In fact, it's worse, isn't it, if you yeah. fight so it? You, so just sitting with it, just standing there, just accepting it. Yeah. Just allowing, allowing your body to actually feel what it is you're feeling. Yeah. And then to move through that when the moment feels right. And it, it, you, it kind of just know. 
Um, and I wonder if there are parallels with that with, with when we feel fearful or when we're feeling weak or mm. in those moments of our weakness is actually rather than going, this is something to be beaten, this is something to overcome, yeah, you know, just sit with that moment of weakness and think, oh, actually, this is a shortcoming. This is a failing of mine. This is something that just, yeah, this is a weakness. And I'm just going to sit with that weakness and acknowledge it. I acknowledge that it's part of me. Because the other thing that what we do with weakness and failings is we treat it as other. We yeah. treat it as over there. This is something that does not belong to me. It's nothing to do with me. Whereas actually, I think it's almost like if we make a friend of it. Yeah. Actually, that that is a a healthier approach than trying to beat something that can't be beaten yeah I think that's right I remember when I was first um diagnosed and I had to have medication um and so the first time it, it when the sort of the anxiety attacks were were more acute and they were impacting my life um and I went to the GP as everyone should um in this situation and she was very lovely and I had medication but I remember thinking um because there were certain circumstances which sort of triggered it I guess I remember thinking oh this is totally circumstantial so it wasn't really to do with me it was to do with you know a kind of imbalance of chemicals in my brain and this this these situations had caused this and and then once not being in those situations and taking this medication for a bit that will be it um, and then I mean it was a it was a good few years later that it happened again and there was some stuff but it wasn't you know massive um just what we experience you know life um things things that go on around us and i think at that point that was when i started to do what you're saying in terms of make make friends with it um and recognize that it was part of me um, and that also there was a gift, there was a gift in that, that I could engage with others, I could see others differently, I could understand God differently, um, and maybe and you could, I could... And you could help others understand God exactly, differently. Exactly, exactly. Not only is it a gift for you, but it's a yeah. gift for your community as well, because I'm married to someone who's diagnosed with anxiety, and it you know I'm often asked by family, friends and family oh what's caused it this time yeah and it's like well, it don't quite work like that it sort of comes in seasons and waves yeah and actually, we live with it now in our family it, it is the it is the part of the part of the person that's at our table it sits down with us and yeah. someday you know it's that it's that it's that black dog isn't it like depression gets called the black dog yeah it? yeah and, Sometimes he's on a lead and he's feedable and he's lovely and he's a nice pet to have around and sometimes he's not and we live with it. But it's yeah. also, so speaking of someone who's married to some, someone in, who, who's diagnosed like you are, um, it, the temptation to try and fix people and make yeah. it for them rather than allowing them to just be who they are in this space. And I suppose that's a model of God's kingdom, isn't it? Is that yeah. God... God's not about fixing us. Um, you know, it's not always about us being perfect. It's not always about um, us measuring up to the standard because that's an impossible standard. And what, what father who loves his child would set an impossible standard for that child to measure up to? Yeah. Of course they wouldn't. You know, so we are loved despite everything and we are loved because of everything. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's that, it's the, it's the process with God 
of becoming, isn't it? Yeah. And with all that. And I always, I always remember that C.S. Lewis um, wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Have you read it? Um, it's tiny. It's one ago. of my favourite books because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a short one. Um, but the, um, the, there's, a, there's a bit in it where the um, main character meets this guy and this guy has, it's kind of like a, a sort of lizard on his shoulder. Um, and the, the idea is that this is kind of some sinful thing that this person has brought into the next life with them. Um, and there's this whole conversation about him kind of getting rid of it, doesn't want it, that kind of thing. But in the end, it transforms. It becomes, I think I remember, it becomes something like a, a stallion or, a, you know, and the guy gets up on it and rides off on it. Um, and I, it's just such a wonderful visual for those things which we think, oh, I wish I wasn't like that. I wish that wasn't how I was or that's how I behaved or I keep doing that thing. Why do I keep doing that thing? You know, it's like St. Paul and, you know, I do what I, what I don't want to do and I don't do what I, you know, all that kind of, and we want to kind of try and get rid of that lizard. And actually, if we, if we just allow it and allow God, then it can be transformed into this amazing thing that is redeemed, I guess. These things are part of what, our redeemedness may be like and the takeaway from all this is that we're loved despite everything which is what it always seems to come down to for me is I'm just amazed that we are loved every little bit of us you know um that it is in, in our imperfections that God's glory shines through and what a relief because it'd be right hard work otherwise wouldn't it <laughs> Well, we would, we just, we would just be constantly in a little sort of ball of wound upness. I think. I imagine us as kind of, you know, you know, these weightlifters in gyms that are constantly yeah, with those knots of. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't, I haven't got the energy to be that. No, kind of, I don't think. <laughs> no, but I, I do. You know, that's my worry: is that actually within the Christian narrative that that is still quite a significant part of it that sort of um raw, <laughs> raw and also, I'm gonna... know, it permeates wider culture as well doesn't it because we talk about being a better version of ourselves tomorrow than we were today you know yeah. and all that sort of stuff um you know and I, the, almost like the before and after pictures of our spirituality you know um i think it's a really dangerous game to play and I think that when we paint out our imperfections, we are not bringing glory to God because I think it's in those imperfections that the kingdom can be found. Amen. And I think Amen. that's really a, a good place to, to end. Thank you, Kate. You're for welcome. What chat? Indeed, indeed. So that was the lovely Kate Botley. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And so we'll end this week's podcast with the perfect Bible verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, 
so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Let others know about it and listen on Fridays for new episodes, which you can get from Anchor or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, among other platforms. Go well into your day and may you come again soon to these doors. Thank you.